Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. to another exciting episode of SFP now. Um, we're going to be doing a, a bit of a Dot Who special tonight, along with um, an interview that we're going to be running later on, which is with John Ainsworth of uh, Big Finish Audio. Uh, but first, we're just going to do this, this uh, these two reviews of Dot Who, the first episode being Deep Breath, followed by Into the Dalek, and joining me to review these episodes is uh, Raisa and Patrick Hayes. How are you guys doing? Fine, thanks. Doing good. I, I'm, I'm doing good as well, except my mouse has just died. Um, <laughs> yeah, my mouse is as dead as a doornail. Oh, it's just connected itself now. Here we go. <laughs> okay, uh, so Patrick, you won the toss, so you're going to go first. We'll start with Deep Breath. Um, what are your thoughts? Okay, um, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Um, the way the episode was sold to the, to people via commercials and stuff, I tried to stay away from the internet as much as possible for spoilers. It seemed like it was going to be a big, oh, he's a cranky old doctor, and, and he's not going to get along with Clara. And um, we were sold, I think, as an audience, a bill of goods that didn't happen. I thought, I thought they got along pretty good. I mean, he's he's a different sort of doctor, but um, I, I loved him. I fell in love with him from his first shush at the beginning. Yeah, it's, yes. he's kind of one those kind of like shush. Yeah. <laughs> and it had a dinosaur, so of course I'm in love with that instantly. Even though the dinosaur sadly didn't last too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I um, I thought as a standalone episode, um, it was good, but it kind of ticked me off that they disregarded the whole thing with Clara being the impossible girl. I mean, where where was any of that? And you know, and if she is the impossible girl, how come she's so distressed by the Doctor's regeneration? It's so like it, it doesn't make any it doesn't make any sense narratively, but. Then again, I got to thinking, and I think Race is going to want to come in uh, any moment now. Uh, but I got to, I got to thinking that um, you know, back in the um, back in the 50th anniversary episode, we didn't really get the sense that Knara was the impossible girl there either, because you know that episode is set right after Knara having gone through the Doctor's time stream, right? Mm-hmm. And in 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 the um, 50th anniversary episode, she meets. She meets the War Doctor, and she doesn't recognise him, even though she's already met him in the, in, in, in the prior episode. Yes, yes. And we talked about this, and, and the, the short version is that the, the Clara that came through, back to the time vortex, the Clara that Eleven was so proud of rescuing, the Clara that kept connected mentally to River Song, is not Clara Prime. She did, in fact, die. 
came back through was a fragment of Clara. And what we're watching, if the theory is correct, my theory is correct, is that we're watching a fragment of Clara um, who was <clears throat> augmented with the memories that were still attached to the leaf that he sent back into the past to her with Clara, Clara Prime's memories. And she's basically living with Clara Prime's memories, but developing a personality of her own as she goes from being a fragment to a fully rounded person, thus dovetailing 12's identity crisis with one of her own. Aha, uh-huh. so that, and that, now, now, we, now we brought that into context, that makes sense more so than, you know, how ticked off we all, we all were last week when we first talked about this. Yes, and actually, if, if you go with the assumption that the Impossible Girl arc is still in play, and I think it still is, because this is Moffat we're talking about, um, putting aside mandates of having to explain to the, to the fangirls that they can't lust after this doctor, um, there's also the fact that this is the guy who gave us a two-and-a-half-year arc to explain River Song, that involved her parents, the, the companions. That entire arc was a multi-year arc. So there's no, there's no reason to think that the Impossible Girl arc will not also be a multi-year arc. Okay, well, you know, that, that kind of puts that episode into context and actually even makes it worth re-watching now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Um, I, still, I, still think, I still think it's overall kind of weak and fan what makes it fan ficky for you? Um, just the fact that they were trying so hard to sell Clara's um, existential crisis for the regeneration, just for the just for the purpose of reflecting the fangirls who are freaking out. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that's, that, that's a- that doesn't that doesn't work for me. Um, even, even even if you put it in the context of, of she may be going through her own identity crisis, they just tried too hard. There was just no subtlety to it. And I felt like I, I, felt like I was being hit over the head with an anvil. Well, I think, I think they were actually playing it to the, uh, the fangirls that um, are so driven by their hormones that they have absolutely nothing between the ears. Here's, here's the irony of that, though. Not all of those fangirls, but a lot of those fangirls... Are now lusting after Capaldi. Yes, <laughs> I have. I have a friend at work, and I've said this before. She was absolutely dreading Capaldi coming in. She's just she's a completely David Tennant fan, and understandable why. But she lusts after David Tennant. She was okay with Matt Smith, and she just went older doctor. I'm out. Yes. And I kept saying, you've got to give it a shot, see what happens. And even she, she was so vehement that she was not going to like this doctor. The night after the episode, I saw her at work, and I went, and? And she went, I have to admit, I like this doctor. And after the next episode, she went, I'm, I'm sold by Capaldi. I'm going to stick around. Yes, yes. And the, the, the whole, the whole, this doctor is not sexy, please, and girls, don't lust after him campaign that the BBC forcefully put on screen Yes. And I just, it, I, 
I, I get the positive points. There's a lot of really cool character work. The Paternoster gang owns. All that stuff was really cool. But the underlying assumptions of the episode just made me want to put, a head through, put my head through a wall. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just didn't work. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been, I've got, to, I've got to admit, I've been impressed with the Capaldius Doctor. Or I, I wasn't under any doubt that he was going to be a rubbish Doctor. Um, right. But what I've been impressed about it is, normally by the end of the first episode, um, well, I found this with, uh, I found this true Tennant and true Smith, and also true of Eccleston, but it basically had to be true of Eccleston, because he was introducing the Doctor to a new audience. But... The three previous doctors, and, 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 you know, on, of the run since 2005, we've kind of pretty much known, you know, what their character was going to be like by the end of the first episode. Whereas what I like about Capaldi's portrayal is we don't know what his, what his character is going to be like by the end of each episode because it's kind of like he's slowly peeling back the layers and, you know, it's, it's so clever. Yes, and what's fascinating to me is that there's there's a lot of the seventh doctor in him, and the seventh doctor um, set my teeth on edge at the time. I think maybe maybe it's because I'm older, but the the um, spikiness and the mystery of this doctor don't bug me as much as Sylvester McCoy's doctor did at the time. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think there's also a bit of Tom Baker in him. Oh, that too, and that, that might be why, because I, I love Tom Baker so much, and I'm, I'm getting a Baker vibe from at least some of what he's doing. You know, especially, especially his facial expressions and, 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 and the work he does with his eyes. Yes. You know, it's sort of like, it's kind of like a, there's a little bit of Baker and Hartnell in there, you know. His actual presence is so, is so commanding, so much more so than, than, than the, previous, the previous three. It's sort of like... Um, he, you know, he, he can act without saying a single word. Yes. And it's just so like, um, it's so rare to see that on television these days. It is, it is. I mean, this, what, what, whatever else his run as Doctor Who is going to be, it's going to be an acting masterclass. They're going to want to just record everything he does in this role and play it back in every drama school on the planet, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even even ones in um, even ones in England, you know, when 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 Scotland sea tremors or whatever. I don't think it's going to happen, folks. I don't think it's going to happen. No. Although I saw I saw somebody on Twitter reply with some, something like, "Forget the indie ref, just just make uh, just make the twelfth Doctor, the uh, Capaldi's twelfth Doctor, the the Lord President of Scotland." <laughs> Do you know what I think they should do? I think if Scotland does separate from England, you know, I think what they should do is they should actually uh, make Powdy uh, true to his word um, in the pilot episode and basically get him to shave his eyebrows off. That would be a thought. Uh, that would be a thought. <laughs> now that you mention it, I could see him being tortured in an episode. They tie him down. There's nothing you can do to me. I'm the doctor. We're going to shave your eyebrows. No! 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 We won the referendum, dammit! <laughs> Just give me something else to complain about since I'm Scottish. <laughs> okay. Well, we've, we've kind of, like, uh, joking aside uh, with, uh, you know, Peter Capaldi's eyebrows, um, we spent quite a bit of time on deep breath now. Um, into the darn it. 
completely different beast, much better story. Um, really enjoyed the fact that it was so like um, riffing on Fantastic Voyage, but it's not it's not actually the first Doctor Who episode to riff on Fantastic Voyage. No, no, there was a there was a fourth Doctor, Invisible Enemy, I think mm. it was called. It was one of the fourth Doctor Leela ones. Yep, that's right. It was the was the Invisible Enemy, but. I, I, I really enjoyed Into the Dark. I thought thought it was really um, it was it was a really cool idea. Yes, and I have to say, um, I know this is going to sound weird, but Fantastic Voyage was one of, one of those movies I had actually managed to never watch for whatever reason. Yes. And so, gasp! Yeah, I know. So I actually rented it uh, in, oh. prepara- in, in preparation for this episode. And I have to say, A, Fantastic Voyage is an awesome movie, and B, as an episodic television homage to the film, Into the Dalek was actually pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they put a lot of effort into making their version of that. Uh, it, was, it, it worked really well on that level. I, I thought what I thought was really cool was the uh, scene where they where they actually go into the Dalek. They've just been miniaturized, and they're in the pod, and they're kind of like walking out of the pod into the Dalek. And you see that song like uh, separation where they song like you know that that middle effect where they kind of like push through into the Dalek. That was yeah. pretty. That's pretty awesome. And, um, uh, I think that that involved uh, a wind machines, according to the behind the scenes portions, and it was and it was really well done. But what I was going to say just then it was that that was actually kind of reminiscent from my from my memories of Fantastic Voyage. Only it wasn't done as well in Fantastic Voyage because obviously they didn't have the technology then. No, no. Right. Um, yeah, it, it, it took a lot from... i got to admit, when I heard what the premise was, I thought it was going to be an absolute cheese fest. I thought, oh, no, what are they doing? And I was just so floored at how well it was done. Um, I was happy to have my children watching it with me, and as soon as they got into the Dalek, I was so glad my daughter said, so does a Dalek have uh, white blood cells? And all of a sudden, they showed up. Yes. And I thought, that's that's a smart writer. It knows it's... Uh, the, the writers were uh, Phil Ford and uh, Moffat, and they know the audience because we're wait. We know they're going to be there, and they showed up, and it was such a clever t- and a simple special effect in a way. Very yes. well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. When 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 the uh, soldier shot or what shot shot at the Dalek or something when it was inside, and White mm-hmm. Woodsell came after him. I, I kind of loved that effect. It kind of like erased him. And yeah. it's Kind of like when you when you rub something out on a. On, on, on a paint program, when, when you're rubbing something out, it's kind of like that sort of effect, totally sort of like upgraded tenfold. It was just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and I, 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 really, I really liked the episode. Um, you know, I love, I, love the, um, I love the character of the soldier. Yes. And uh, I love the uh, little reference that Clara makes to her her her, her, her soldier friend, Danny Pink. Right. Yes. So I, I, I know a soldier called Pink, yeah. and, and the, the, the other soldier goes to, I think she was called Blue, uh, yes. Jonah Blue or something. She goes, well, you know, he's lucky. Yeah. I just, I just like the fact that Moffat is brave enough to name his characters things like River Song, Amy Pond, Journey Blue, Danny Pink, and not apologize for it. He's, he's gone to the, the J.K. Rowling School of Nomenclature. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought when I heard his name was Pink, being a school teacher and going by my last name all the time, I thought, he's Mr. Pink? Is this a Reservoir Dogs reference? 
that's, that's kind of my that was kind of my thought, you know. And I was just wondering if we're going to have the uh, Mister White uh, pop up and or, or the others. As, yeah. long as, they, as long as they play the music and Peter Capaldi is walking like that with Clara, I'm sold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can be too. Um, in terms of in terms of the Doctor Who specific elements of the episode, as opposed to the homage portion of the episode, um, thematically it was nothing new. We've been down this road. Um, it's basically the Twelfth Doctor version of Dalek PTSD. Right. You know. Becoming the enemy, you know the whole that whole that whole shtick. There's nothing new there. Um, what saved it was the fact that Capaldi sold it like nobody's business. Um, right, right. On previous doctors, when they've been told this, it's pretty much been shouting, shouting, ping. At the end, when he's been when he t- when he's told by the Dalek, you would make a good Dalek. The look of just disappointment on his and shock. I was I've never seen a doctor react like that before since the no, re- no, no. Um, there's a there, there's a realness to his response, recycled though it is to a partial to a partial extent, uh, that you didn't quite get um, from the other doctors, yeah. from the other actors, and uh, and that's and that was and that was pretty cool. Uh, in terms of Clara's arc, if we're working on the assumption that the Impossible Girl arc is still in play, and 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 Moffat is just not overtly mentioning it. Um, he is still bringing it in because a that ad that 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 they answered in the in the premiere specifically mentioned the impossible girl when it didn't have to right that plus the first episode had a call back to victorian eric clara who died in the snowman and the second episode had a good dalek and initially i was very confused by the by you know, this good Dalek, because didn't we have a good Dalek in Oswin Dalek? You know, wasn't that the whole point of Asylum of the Daleks? And wouldn't there be a direct callback to that? Because even if, even if Clara doesn't remember all that, 12 would, because that's the entire reason he even survived long enough to die to become 12. Right. So, you know, so why wouldn't they acknowledge that at all? And then I realized, assuming, assuming that he hasn't dropped the Ark, which I don't think he has, and he's just you know, putting it in there quietly so he can shock us with something down the road. Um, the good Dalek that is Rusty is the callback. And we're we're going to get uh, an explanation as to why there isn't overt dialogue from either the Clara or the Doctor later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, also, the, uh, we don't know at what point within the Dalek's timeline this episode take, takes place, whether it is after the Dalek assignment or before. That's right, because cause Osman, Osman Dalek erased all of their memories of the Doctor to save him. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, you know, we don't know how much that plays into it. And um, whatever we think of that first episode and... and Moffat's mandate to address the fangirls. This is this, this is Moffat we're talking about. This is the king of the art, you know, narrative. Um, he's not going to drop the ball. So whatever's going on here, I think we have to trust that that there's something going on here. Because the because if he's because if he's dropped the ball, what's the point of all these Easter eggs that aren't Easter eggs? Right. And what what yeah. Yeah, I mean, I um, I actually love the Doctor's reaction, like like uh, Patrick mentioned, 
But it was it was wasn't just the uh, the expression on his face. It was just so like uh, it was just so like the the fact that he thought that he could he could make the Danik good again. Mm-hmm. Only he was kind of short sighted as to um, what the Dalek's interpretation of good was, which you know in this case was to wipe out all the other Daleks. Right. You know, it's <laughs> irrespective. Yeah. The scary thing was that the he needed to wipe out all the Daleks. Right. Um, and I think the Doctor was reacting not only to the fact that his hatred fueled that, but that his hatred needed to fuel that. Yeah. He, he, he didn't want it to be necessary. He wanted Clara to be right. And the problem was that Clara was only partly right. Right. And just and, just utter failure. It's the, it's the first time this Doctor has had an absolute utter failure after he's been allowed to meddle. Yes, yes. It seems to be the first time that any of the modern doctors has, has actually had a, 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 you know, another failure. To be honest. Well, there is there is eleven falling into the Pandora trap. Well, yeah. Well, true, but I think I think this this particular doctor failure was uh, it was on a completely different level. True. We, true. We, we were allowed to feel it. Yes. Whereas yeah. the dots falling into the Pandora trap. No, no, no offense against the. Um, you know, against Matt Smith, but this this particular episode and that particular moment yeah. goes to show, you know, how how much far in advance of an actor Capaldi is than, than Matt Smith. It's true. It's yeah, true. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask, did any of you? I don't know. How, I know. Uh, I don't know if um, Rice, if you're a big uh, Star Trek fan, did you catch the similarities between this episode and the next? And I worked. And I worked. Yeah. I, I sat there as soon as the Dalek said, resistance is futile. Yeah. Everyone in my household looked at me at my reaction. <laughs> yeah. And I went, that's a fair call. They can say it. Star Trek's not on. The, the Daleks can say it. Yeah. But it was really similar to I Borg, which is an episode where a lone Borg is taken in and is programmed essentially to go back into the Borg collective with a disease that will wipe out the Borg. Mm-hmm. And that's essentially what happened here. At the end, we had a, a Dalek that was convinced to kill other Daleks, and it was set loose at the end to go raise hell. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Very, very similar. Yeah, but by, by the same token, Patrick, if you ever you've um, if ever you've actually watched the episode, the classic Patrick Troughton episode, Tomb of the Cyberman, now oh, yeah. isn't that actually very similar to uh, with, with the episode um, Hide and Q or Q? Yes. When oh, when yeah. Q throws them back into the um, back into to the Delta Quadrant where they first encounter the Borg, now oh, that absolutely. scene where you first see the Borg hive, you know that that's that's that, that's a direct myth from Tomb of the Cybermen. Oh, absolutely! I mean, Next Gen lifted it completely and took it up to the modern era, and I think it's kind of fun that Doctor Who with this episode is going, "Okay, Star Trek, here we go. Here's our take on it." Yeah, yeah. So. It's nice one-upmanship. Now, if only yeah. Star Trek could get their act together and bring back a TV series to one-up Doctor Who, I'd be ecstatic. <laughs> uh, not going to happen. <laughs> not in my lifetime, I'm afraid. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't think. It, I don't think that's going to happen for another five or ten years. You know, they, they need CBS really needs to get that crap together. Yeah. And, um, and stop making all these CSI shows and actually produce a science fiction show. 
<laughs> what, did, what did you guys think of the chemistry between Claire and the Doctor in this episode? It's, it's getting there. It's I, getting there. I just loved the bit where she snaps him. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. That was great. Although I've got one nitpick. Um, this is going to be a little strange, but this is this ties into my my background subjectively. Um, there were two great pieces of line, pieces of dialogue um, individually. There was um, I miss care, you know, she cares, so I don't have to. And then there was uh, you're not my boss, you're one of my hobbies. Oh yeah. Now separately, each of those quips is absolutely awesome. The problem is that putting them together, if you even as quips, if you have Clara say that she's his carer in one breath and then say that he's her hobby in another, those two ideas, even as quips, don't belong together. That's yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So so they effectively ended up with a, a mixed metaphor. So either Moffat and Ford accidentally dropped the ball, which I can buy, they're not perfect, or or Claire is having more of an identity crisis than even we understand. Um, I'm not sure which. Yeah, that I think would, that would be interesting if she's having a um, if she's having a breakdown and the memories are starting to uh, clash within her. That would be an interesting direction for a companion. Yes, yes, because I could I could understand because if if the theory is that her that her memory's been wiped and there and there's precedent for that because he did it uh, he did it with Donna. He did it with Rose, and they did it as far back as the classic series with Jamie and Zoe. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is this is classic. This is classic Doctor Who on a lot of levels. So if assuming assuming that the Doctor knows what's going on with Clara, if the fragment of her came out and Eleven discovered that she was a fragment and discovered that the fragment was unstable because it was a fragment and not the whole Clara, and discovered that the only way to protect anything was to keep her from having a breakdown, basically erasing portions of her memory. And those portions are coming back. You know, that could be, that could be an issue. Yeah. But I, I don't know if that's what Moffat is giving us yet. We haven't seen enough. We've, we've only seen enough to know that the arc is still in play, whatever that means. Right, right. So it's, it's going to be interesting to, to see what, we, what, what we're given there. But I just kind of wanted to point that out um, because... As somebody who is disabled, who actually has carers in my life on a regular basis and always will have, those those concepts don't go together. So they, they have an inadvertent uh, mixed metaphor. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it, it was just a little, little strange for me, a little bit jarring. But I'm, I'll give it to them because I figure, you know, they're, they're tired. They're very <laughs> tired. <laughs> I, um, you know, I was just going to... Uh... Bring, bring this up, um, actually. Uh, what do you guys think of the introduction of Danny Ping? I mean, I thought it was a good introduction, but it felt a little bit shoehorned into the episode. It was. Um, structural, um, I mean, I mean the, in terms of the actual content, I thought it was very well acted and very well carried off. And, and, uh, and Anderson played the awkwardness and the damaged aspects of the character really well but structurally you're right it was shoehorned in they were it's like oh we have to introduce the new guy the new guy now here's 10 minutes you know straight in and it was it was you know not as um not as not as so layered in and as it should have been yeah do you think he might have been included as an exit for clara since that's the hot rumor that she's going to be leaving at about the christmas episode this year uh she he might be um yes. Although he, I think he obviously, apart from Clara, is also going to be tying in thematically to the Doctor's 
dislike of soldiers. Yes. And, and some of that stuff. Um, I do know that structurally, according to episode synopses that have come out in Doctor Who magazine, that, that whatever begins the process of her leaving or partially leaving or taking a break or whatever is going to be happening is going to be starting along episode eight. Yeah. So. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny, this one, because that rumor was released about a week before the episode, first episode aired. Mm-hmm. And um, both Capaldi and, and uh, Jenna Coleman have been, been quite coy about it, as in they've, they've not actually confirmed or denied, and neither's the BBC. No. So I, I think if Clara is leaving, I think it's probably going to be in a similar vein to how Rose left. Yes, you know? yes. Mm. Because, but that, that, that said, the differences between Jenna Coleman and Bingy Piper is Je- Jenna Coleman's been been um, regularly working in television in this country since before Doctor Who, and she's been well, fairly well known in this country since before Doctor Who as well. Yes, um, she, she was in a she was in a soap called um, I think she was in Crossroads for years, and yes, you know, and, and, and Emmerdale before that. Apparently, she and uh, she and, she and the new guy um, are both Emmerdale alums. Yeah, oh. uh, yeah, you're right. It was Emmerdale. Crossroads went off the years. You know, went off the air years ago, probably before she was even bloody born. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but uh, actually, did bring it back for a while. But you know, it went. But that's beside the point. The, the point is, she's always kind of like been been working, and she's always sort of like. Uh, in in in, um, in other television projects, I mean, prior to uh, prior to getting prior to be appearing in her first Doctor Who episode, she was in that um, that dr- dramatic ITV drama about the Titanic. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Big role in that. So, I think if she does leave, it's probably to do with her work, and she'll probably pop back every now and again. Um, that that's if uh, Moffat and Co don't king her off completely. Yeah, I. Whatever they do, they're going to have to tie it back to Impossible Girl because that is her arc. Um, and the most logical way to do that is to have a surprise reveal of this whole time we've been dealing with Fragment Clara. Mm-hmm. And and that would be that would be the most logical way to because because one of the complaints for Clara before season eight was that she seemed to be a bit of a non-entity just there to serve the plot of the of the impossible girl right and and fans have been really really happy that she's had more to play and i think moffat did that for two reasons one he's addressing the criticism by giving her more to play and fleshing her out but i think in moffat moffat true moffat form he's going to put a twist in the tail and say basically oh you like this character development well it wasn't actually clara that was developing it was clara fragment me as a very Moffat thing to do. Yeah, you're right. That's pretty sad to think of, but I could see him doing that completely. <laughs> talking, um, talking of which, um, and this is because I want to try and wrap this up because I know that Patrick's got to go in a bit, um, was we had a moment where where, where where one of the soldiers dies and she winds up in, in, in heaven and meets Missy very briefly. Missy's yes. second appearance. Um, and I, I, I thought that's kind of got me thinking because I've been I've been I've been sort of like looking at various different theories about Missy. And there's quite a few on there, 
And uh, one of them is that Missy is actually uh, a messed up version of Romana post-Time War. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 the logic and the reasoning for that one's pretty thin, uh, because they're basically claiming that um, K9 used to call Romana Mistress, and Mistress could be Missy, but that said, K9 called Nina Mistress as well, so... Yes, plus the problem with Romana, she hasn't been introduced before, and you have to both introduce Romana as a concept and then sell that she's regenerated. That's two things. Whereas, if, if you go with the other theory, which is that Missy is short for mistress, she's a female master, the master has been already introduced. That's only one additional thing they have to sell. So structurally, it makes more sense for her to be the master. Oh, she could be the Rani? She could, but then, like I said, they're, they're introducing the Rani in, De- in December on Big Finish, and, yeah, Big well. Finish and, Big, Big Finish and the main show make a point of not stepping on each other's toes as best they can. Yeah, right. but the, the, the fact of the matter is, Big Finish only have the rights to Classic Doctor Who, and of all the Rani is Classic Doctor Who character, you know, you could argue that the Master's a Classic Doctor Who character as well. And before, That's true. That's and, true. And, and before, before Doctor Who was a... Um, you know, reintroduce the master to to the modern audience. Big Finish were doing a series arc with the master. In fact, I think they've done several since with different actors. Uh, yeah. You know, one. You know, I think I think Jeffrey Beavers plays him quite a lot for the uh, Big Finish audios. Uh, yes. But the uh, the the point is, you know, the 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 Romana that they're using in Big Finish is likely to be a different regeneration, and you know, something in Big Finish canon doesn't necessarily have to tie into the, the modern series canon. No, and it, it's true. I mean, Romana in Big Finish is now Romana number three, and she's um, played by the actress who plays uh, Drusilla on Buffy and Angel, Juliet Landau. Oh. Yes. I haven't heard any of them yet, but I know that she's, she's the one with the gig, which is kind of wonderful. Um, the one piece of theory I did want to bring up is that whoever Missy is, I think she's definitely Gallifreyan. And the reason for that is I think that Heaven is a TARDIS. And the reason I think that... the reason That's, that's a T-shirt waiting to happen. Yes. I think the reason, the reason for that is that if you look at it structurally, there, there's, a, there's a mirror between... Uh, between the doctor saving Journey Blue at the beginning of the episode and Missy bringing Gretchen in at the end. And I, th- I think she basically just did the same thing that the, that the doctor did. The, the difference is that she's psycho and playing, and playing mind games and telling them they're dead. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I think that she's basically a Gallifreyan name to be, de- uh, title to be determined and she's whacked, and she's got a TARDIS, and that's how she's doing this. Mm, another theory as well is that she could be the, uh, the, the, the more negative aspects of Kanara. Yeah, that, that, would take as, that, that would take as much explanation as the Valley Art originally did, and they really kind of fucked him up, so I don't think that they'll go that direction. Right. Yeah, that's really stretching it, I think. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, I came across about six, but those are the three that stuck out for me. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, I, I just think she's going to be an interesting character, and I, I'm just wondering when, 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 you know, if we will see how much more we'll see of her in the next episode, or will they maybe skip it completely and then reintroduce her in the one actor? Because the next episode is going to be uh, Robots of Sherwood. Yes. Um, the, the, the interesting thing there is, assuming the Impossible Girl arc is in play, 
and assuming that one or more of the Sherwood characters is actually a robot. It does bring in the theme of identity yet again. And if Clara is having an identity crisis because she's actually a fragment, that could lead into the foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. But I was so. just going to say that I don't think there's going to be room for Missy and robots of Sherwood. No, I don't think so. I don't it's think just, so either. Uh, I really don't. You know, because it's, you know, that, that episode looks like it's going to be more of a romp. But I've got to say, I've seen, I've, I posted the photos earlier at Sci Fi Pulse um, um, from, from, from Robots for Sherwood, and there's, um, there's about 16 photos, and uh, I've got to say, there's one of the, one of the robots, and it looks mm-hmm. really, really cool. It is. <laughs> they're, 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 they're very pretty robots. It, it kind of put me in mind a little bit of uh, Robots of Death. Yes. yes. Oh wow! <laughs> the, the, the the kind of look, but it's kind of like that look with um, but it's but it's so like um, it's got more of a knight's helmet on. Mm-hmm. So, so it's it kind of looks really really cool. I'm kind kind of looking forward to that one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know because it's the same actor that played William Shakespeare playing Robin Hood. Oh wow! Really? No, I think no. It's it's the guy from Da Vinci's Demons. Oh sorry, yeah, Da Vinci's. Demons. Oh okay. So. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It, it is a guy from Da Vinci's Demons. And what's what's even more awesome is that uh, Ben Miller of Primeval Frame is playing the Sheriff of Nottingham. Yes. Which should be fun. Recognized him right away. Yeah, they, they apparently they just couldn't get um, Alan Rickman because uh, his demand for, um, for 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 a case full of spoons mm-hmm. was just, you know too far out of the budget. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you know, an old Robin Hood, an old Robin Hood Prince of Thieves joke there. God, yes. But the, you know, that's another funny thing in the photographs. Is that there's a photograph of um, of Robin teaching Lady Marion how to shoot an yes. arrow. And as soon as I saw that image, I thought, you know, this is sort of like uh, the, ri- the the directly riffing of Kevin Costner teaching Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio how to shoot an arrow. Yes. It's a thieves. It, it's all like it looks like that exact same shot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so. I would. I wouldn't be surprised if they threw in a line taking a little shot at it. Mm-hmm. That's a bad pun there, unintended. But uh-huh. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> no. Yeah. Mm. yeah. You know, so like uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they get Christian Slater to make a uh, to make a make make a top secret cameo. <laughs> <laughs> Saying, but I me, he made it. Oh, God. <laughs> it just, that, that scene just cracks <clears throat> me up every time because, you know, y- 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 the intonation of that, you, you don't go, but I me, he made it. <laughs> Which just, so, that just sounded so wrong. <laughs> so, oh, man. But, yeah, it's, um, it's an episode I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to. Yeah. And it'll be a little bit lighter than these first two. The the downside of having a darker doctor is the darker episodes, and so you kind of need these theoretically lighter episodes to balance it out. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and we all know that Peter Capaldi can do comedy. Oh Lord, can he do comedy? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Especially if you've seen the thick of it. Oh God. <laughs> I I still want them to use Omni Shambles at some point in the series. Oh, sod on the shambles. I want, I want them to uh, sort of like, uh, do, do a scene of him cussing and just beep every other word. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
I'd love to see him uh, go to the um, 80s in England and see a punk rock band since he was the lead singer of a punk rock band. Yes, yes. And have Craig Ferguson make a cameo as the drummer in the background. Oh, God, that would uh, be awesome. Actually, keep an eye out for it next year. They're going to do an episode called Omnishambles. Oh. Wow. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that, that'd just make a great episode name. Never mind it. Never mind yeah, it. There you go. No. Yeah. Plus, you, you do have to wonder, though, if they do use Omnishambles, how bad it has to get for him to apply the word Omnishambles to something in the Hoovers. <laughs> given, given, how, you know, given what we've seen prior to. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's going to be a good one next week. And I'm kind of looking forward to... I think what's great about this series now is we're going to see we're going to see every episode over the next twelve weeks, so we're not going to have that split. No, yeah. no. Oh, I hated that. Hated that. I I I didn't mind it. I just I just uh, I, I just feel um, I just feel that they should do they should show up to during the winter months and not 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 east not not Easter in mm. the, the summer sort of thing. And, you know, for my money, I, I kind of wish they'd actually started showing this series a little bit later mm. than August sort of thing. Because, it, you know, that, that's, where, that's when it used to air, when, when, they, first, when they used to show Doctor Who back in, the, um, back in the 70s and 80s. It would come on so like, probably around about more September time. And it would mm. run right through to Christmas and maybe end around about March. Mm. You know, and that's how long the series was back then. Whereas, on like in the uh, back in the uh, William Hartnell and uh, Patrick Troughton era, they actually ran the series all year long. Right. Mm. You know, which is why there's so many episodes that they those guys did. <laughs> and you know, and you had some stories that went on for sort of like ten or twelve weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a serial. It was a proper serial. But, you know, but I, I kind of think. I I I just like to see Doctor Who be back on, you know, sort of like a little bit later from September through to December as opposed to August through to it's going to end in November, uh, maybe even late October or thereabouts. Oh wow! You know, so it it you know, and, and I'd rather see it end in December and maybe have the Christmas special. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah. And. I don't know how well this weekend's episode did, but um, I should imagine it did all right. I mean, X Factor started this weekend. It, it did five million. Yeah, it, it did. It did about what what it would do 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 ordinarily. Oh, right, it's a, its approval rating was much higher than the first episode. I just read that today. Its approval rating was like eighty something, which they said was e- excellent, outstanding. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. the, the first episode got a, got an approval rating of eighty eight. Mm. Yeah, this would, this new one supposedly was higher, so they were very happy with that. Yeah, but you know, so like um, it went up. You know, last weekend it was up against the X Factor. Uh, the second half of the episode was up against the X Factor. Um, but you know, I don't think, to be honest, X Factor's kind. I think X Factor is in its dying throes. Yeah, to be honest, I mean, he's got two more years of it. So wow. with Simon Cow. And I'm just hoping that it's two more years of it and that is it. Because, to be honest, um, X Factor to me is a musical equivalent of waterboarding. They should just sort of like take it off the air and um, 
and and so like, uh, but then again, they you know ITV would lose out on on ratings to, to Doctor Who if they bought something else on. So so I suppose it's in their interest to keep it around. Yeah, yeah. But it has been dropping in the rate ratings for the last uh, three or four years. I said mm. it's not been doing as well. So so that's why that's why I think the the BBC have been quite confident in putting Doctor Who up against it. Mm, yes. But it kind of like makes me nervous when they do it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think next week, I think this week's episode is going to be shown at the same time as last week's. It's going to be half seven. Mm. So we'll go up against the uh, X Factor once again um, during the second half. Uh, I just I just find it odd that we actually have more sch- uh, schedule stability with Doctor Who here in America than you do, and it's your show. Right. <laughs> Well, the BBC, they tend to, on on the weekend, they tend to move things around quite a lot um, because they the thing is they have a they ha- they have live shows on a Saturday quite quite a lot of the time, uh-huh. and the schedule gets messed around because of those and um, and this that and the other and also all the sport and final score is on a Saturday as well. Oh, he, yeah. he even got he even got shunted around quite a lot uh, when it was on a Saturday. Back in back in the eight, back in the seventies and eighties, a little bit, it was always roughly between. I think it used to come on about half past five, back mm. and it was usually came on. I think it became. I think it came on between half five and half six. Usually, it was usually between the end of the final score sort of thing. It was kind of like, um, kind of like a tough one. Yeah, ironically, um, it only ever got a steady time. Uh, when it was actually put on a Mondays, which oh, wow. was when, when it was put on a Monday um, during the Peter Davison run for a while, and most of the Colin Baker run, and they, they for the Colin Baker run they actually went from a twenty-five minute format to a forty-five minute format, oh. and then they changed it back again in the Sylvester McCoy era. And what right. they did in, in the final year of the Sylvester McCoy era, they sort of moved it forward from seven o'clock to half seven and put it right up against Coronation Street. Oh, jeez. Joe yes. didn't have a chance. Um, but that was just sort of like uh, engineered by uh, Sir Michael Grade, who hated science fiction, hated right. Doctor Who, and, you know, and he's even admitted as much. He went out of his way to get rid of it. Sort of thing. Oh, so let's just hope to God that um, we don't get another Michael Grade at the BBC anytime soon. I doubt, I doubt it because right now um, Doctor Who is the BBC's flagship show, and the BBC needs a flagship show. They've got financial problems, so yeah, they, they can't they can't afford to can't, they can't afford to poo poo it. There's also the fact that it's doing way better internationally now than it ever was in the eighties. Right. Yes. You know, so, yes. like, um, let's face it, it got sold to um, the, the, the that was the channel the, the the network it was sold to in the states. Oh, the Sci-Fi Channel for a while. No. Yes. I'm about and now it's BBC America. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about I'm talking about a classic series. Oh, PBS. PBS. Yeah. yeah. PBS. And yeah. and in the states, uh, it's only really super intelligent people uh, that watch PBS. <laughs> Yeah, much. I think back then it was kind of like a, it was a free sort of like minority channel that not many people watched. Mm. Is, that, is that the vibe I was getting? Just about. 
at the time. It's, it's a little bit better now, but not yeah. much. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it's kind of doing way better than it, than it ever has done. You know, now, and I think, you know, obviously the internet's got a lot to do with that. Yes, and, and you can tell it's doing better because of they, they actually had the world tour where they actually put Capaldi and, and Coleman and Moffat on the world tour. Yeah, and, and also the fact that uh, they've been at Comic Con most years as well. Yes, yes. And that's definitely new. They wouldn't have done that. But, yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's doing way better than it than it ever has done and um, not, not may it continue well, at least for another few years yes yes you know? yeah. I, I want if nothing else I want Capaldi just, to, just to, because he's a, a very sweet man and an Uber fan he's basically earned his 3 to 5 and I want him to have his full 3 to 5 tenure <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm the same you know I, I want him to have his uh, I, want him, I want him to have his full tenure I mean to be honest uh, you know the thick of it he's you know, since doing the thick of it, his career sort of like gained a second win because before the thick of it, he was kind of like uh, he was kind of like in, in nowhere land. Yeah, and he, he actually in one of the interviews I was reading actually talked about the fact that he was thinking about in in that period when he was in nowhere land before the thick of it, he was thinking about quitting acting. Oh wow! So yeah, so, you know, so you know, it's all come full circle for him, and um, I think. That's about it now, folks. Um, and we're going to so like, uh, run the uh, John Ainsworth interview um, in which he talks about Night of the Triffids, which is uh, a new audio drama out this month by Big Finish. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, we're going to you know, bring John on to talk about that. Um, and that thank, before we do, though, I'd like to thank uh, Raisa and Patrick. It's always great to speak to Dr. Uvi, and uh, we, we'll have you back next week for the, uh, for the Robots of Sherwood, right? Awesome. That'd be fun. Great. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for joining me. Steve Lund and I play the character Nick Sorrentino on the new sci-fi and space series Bitten and you are listening to sci-fi pulse radio.com taking the pulse of sci-fi Welcome, uh, John Ainsworth, to the show. Uh, John is uh, one of the um, one, one, one of the most uh, noted directors uh, to work with uh, Big Finish Audio, and he's also um, you know he's also had his own uh, audio uh, drama company going with with uh, things such as Space eighteen ninety nine. Uh, welcome to the show, John. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on on the show. Well, you know, it's, it's great to finally have you. I mean, it's 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 nice to sort of get a chance to kind of reconnect. Um, 
Well, um, I think the first question I, I have to ask you is one that everyone probably asks you, is um, how, how did you actually start working with Big Finish? Well, I'd, um, uh, quite a long time ago, in, back in the 80s, there was a, a whole group of us that um, did a, a, an organisation that was sort of known as Audiovisuals, a fan organisation, not-for-profit, and whereas lots of people, lots of Doctor Who fans in the, in the 80s would do their own fanzines, what, what we did instead was actually make our own Doctor Who stories on audio, so they were just basically like radio dramas, um, and Nick Briggs was the Doctor in most of them, uh, and we did them over quite a few period, uh, quite a period of years. Um, uh, uh, Gary Russell was involved, Bill Bax was the person who started it, um, and nobody made any money out of it, we just did it for fun, and people bought them on cassette at conventions, um, and seemed to really enjoy them, and at the time we all thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if we could actually do this you know, properly for a living, because by the end of it, although they'd started off quite sort of amateurishly uh, at the beginning, by the end of, um, I think we did something like 27 or 28 um, plays, and by the, by the time we got to the last ones, they were really quite uh, quite good, you know, high standard with good actors, um, very good sound design, specially composed music. Um, so we, we, you know, we thought we're actually quite good at this, um, and it'd be good to do them for real. But we, there just didn't seem any possibility of that. Um, and then many years later, um, mainly thanks to Jason Hay Gallery, big finish um, was set up and. Gary Russell and Nick Briggs uh, were involved in starting, well, first of all, they did many Summerfield audios, and that led to getting the license from the BBC to do Doctor Who um, audios. I wasn't involved immediately at that point, but then I came in a bit later. Actually, the first thing I did was work on the website, um, and then I did uh, a stage play, which I directed and produced in Brighton for three weeks. Uh, which was a, a two-hander which starred Jacqueline Pierce, who played uh, Sir Blanet Blake Seven, mm -hmm. and, and Jason and Gary and Nick and everyone came to see the play and um, seemed to quite like what I'd done. And on the strength of that, Jason almost immediately said, you should be directing for us, which was very flattering. And I said, well, yeah, I'd love to do that. And uh, the first thing I was offered was um, The Plague Herds of Excellus, which was a, a Beneath Summerfield play. It was the <laughs> the fourth in the Excellus trilogy, so to speak, that it was, um, didn't have the Doctor in it. Uh, but it was the first one to be recorded with Katie Manning playing Iris Wildtime, so it was the first time she'd ever done it, and uh, uh, even though it wasn't actually the first one to be released. Um, so that was quite fun, and I thought, well, I, I felt quite uh, honoured that, you know, they'd given me my first production, and I got to work with Katie Manning, which was great, you know. So, um, And it went from there, really, and I've, since then I've directed about 60 different titles or over. 60 titles and um, that's over a period of 10 12 years now i think mm -hmm. yeah it, it's funny you mentioned bernie summerfield because i've never actually listened to any bernie summerfield stuff uh, right I, i've only really listened to some of the doctor who stuff but i'm actually starting to white widen my, my horizons because it's only recently that i've actually been buying stuff from the uh, from the website Right. Um, whereas before, it's just been whenever I've been able to get to a convention. So, right, right. So, you know, now, now that I can actually download stuff and buy stuff off the website, it's kind of like uh, opened it up a little bit more for me. Yes, it makes it, it, makes it easier. And, uh, and I think downloads are a little bit cheaper as well, aren't they, I think? Um, they, they are a cat cheaper, yeah. So, uh, yes, and there's been a, a new release, one has just come out that does have the Doctor in it, which is um, a box set with uh, four adventures in it and Sylvester McCoy's in it and Sophie Aldred uh, is in it as well. Um, I wasn't involved in that one, but uh, that, I know that's the latest one to come out and I think that's probably quite a good one to listen to, even if 
you haven't heard any of the previous Benny audios because mm-hmm. it sort of taps into the, the whole New Adventures range of books uh, where Benny was the Doctor's companion for a lot of the time. Um, so I think you could probably listen to that without kept knowing anything about the previous audios at all. OK, well, I might, I might give that a go um, once, once I've got a bit more money in the bank. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, having just spent um, a horrendous amount of money, I've, I've just bought a new guitar. And um, I've just bought some stock for my little store that I was talking about before 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 recording. So, <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm trying to put the brakes on the spending for for, for the time being. Um, but I, I I did actually get I was actually introduced recently to Iris Wildtime. Right. Yeah. Um, via the uh, Companion Chronicles episode uh, that that Katie did, where she plays both Joe Grant and Iris Wildtime. And I thought, wow, this character's fun. And then the notion of someone having a time travel machine, which is a big red double-decker bus. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <It's just brilliant. laughs> I like that. Um, one of the many things you've done for Big Finish is you actually did a, a series of Judge, Judge Dread audio adventures. Uh, yes, that was quite early on. I, I think I, yeah, well, it wasn't just Judge Dread. It was technically 2000 AD, and um, the idea was to do not just Judge Dread, but Strontium Dog, and um, even do Rogue Trooper. But um, the Judge Dread ones proved to be the popular ones, or comparatively popular ones. So we actually only did two Strontium Dog uh, adventures, and we didn't do any Rogue Trooper in the end, even though a script was actually written for one. Um, but yes, I loved working on that. Um, Toby Longworth played Judge Dredd as well as many of the supporting characters uh, and was really uh, great to work with. And uh, I was very pleased with what we did with that whole series. I felt it maintained you know, quite a, uh, a high level of quality. And they're very funny as well in a lot of places, which I, li- I like the comedy side of it. Um, yeah, I particularly like those. Was, was Simon Pegg also involved in those? Yes, Simon Pegg played Johnny Alpha in the Strontium Dog. Uh, he is the, the sort of the Strontium Dog character. So in the two Strontium Dog titles, Simon Pegg was in those, and then he actually guested in a Judge Dredd one where Judge Dredd and um, Johnny Alpha actually meet. Because um, technically they can't do because the characters actually exist in different time periods, so there has to be sort of fairly unique circumstances to allow them to actually meet. But we, we did one that uh, where they did meet in the last few that we did. Yeah. Yes, he was great to work with, and, um, and of course he's gone on to be huge megastar now. So yeah, amazing. Yeah, and uh, he always comes across to me as really down to earth as well. I mean, you know, I've seen him interviewed, and he just comes across as a really nice guy. Yes, he's, he's really nice, and I mean, the reason we asked him to be uh, uh, Johnny Arthur is because we we strongly suspected he was quite a fan of the, the comics, because there was the, some passing mention in one of the episodes of Space, which I think he wrote or co-wrote, um, which was, I think, one of the characters says, do you remember where you were when Johnny Arthur died, because he was killed off in the comics at one mm-hmm. point, and uh, Jason Hegel picked up on that and thought, mm, let's get Simon, let's ask him if he'd like to play uh, Johnny Arthur, and he was right, and uh, I think Simon sort of left at it, and um, really enjoyed the scripts. But yeah, he was definitely down to work, you know. And funny enough, I remember chatting to him in the um, the green room in between takes about uh, what was then the latest Star Trek film, which was Star Trek Nemesis. And we were chatting about whether we liked it or not and what was good about it. And little knowing that he would be in the next one, basically, you know, quite a few years down the line. So that's, uh, that's 
quite funny. Yeah. Well, you know, I've seen I've seen quite a few things with Simon Pegg, including Spaced, and um, I always enjoy what you know whatever whatever he does. So um, I think that for me is probably my selling point. You know, to to tra- you know check out some of your dread stuff. Definitely do. Well, yes, yeah, I mean the Stranger Dogs. I've, really, I've, I've they've got a slightly different feel than the uh, the Judge Dreads, but um, I like them very much. Unfortunately, they just weren't quite as popular as the Judge Dreads. I'm not quite sure why. They, they were critically acclaimed, uh, and, and certainly everyone seemed to like Simon's performance. But uh, so yeah, I would I would encourage you and anyone else to to have a listen to them. They're great. From from what I remember of Strontium Dog, he was kind of like a bounty hunter. Um, in 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 a world where you know he's kind of like a he's kind of like a mutant and he's kind of like disregarded by by, by the rest of that civilization. Yes, that's right. He, uh, he's a mutant, and uh, they're considered considered to be sort of a bit of a sort of second class um, citizens, and so he's a bit sort of shunned uh, along with you know various other mutants as well. And um, but yeah, he's a bounty hunter, and um, which is what you know our adventures are. I think he gets sent on various missions to uh, sort stuff out, basically. Mm-hmm. It's been about 20 years since I've read 2018. <laughs> yeah, we're still going. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a, bit out, uh, a bit out of touch, and um, you know, so like, um, and and I just pulled that, you know, pulled that reference of Strong and Dog out out there from back in the uh, probably back in the 80s, early 90s, when I was actually still reading it regularly. That's right. Yeah. Um, I mean, the good thing about the audios is you don't. I mean, I didn't. I had read the comics before we did the audios, and I. Uh, I had sort of semi-familiar, and, I, and of course, once I knew I was going to do the audio, I started reading it again and sort of catching up a bit. But to be honest, I think you could probably just listen to them, any of them, and know what's going on and, and get an idea of it. I, you know, it's not like you have to have read all 20 years' worth of comic strips to understand the audios at all. I, I think they stand on the road. Yeah, it'd be great if you, you know, if Big Finish could somehow bring it, bring it back and get Cal, Her- Cal Urban to do Dread. <laughs> Well, yes, it's got a new a new life, isn't it? I mean, it's possible. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, that that'd be fun to do. Maybe get you directing Cal Urban. <laughs> yes, that would be uh, an interesting experience. Yes. <laughs> um, another, you know, a more recent thing that you've done is you've helmed a new Pathfinder series of audio adventures, uh, which are based on the books, which are also based on the popular role playing game. Um, what 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 was it that drew you to that project? Well, I was basically offered that, to be honest. I think Jason, the gallery and Nick Briggs had, I think, at a convention in America, uh, they'd actually met the people behind Pathfinder who, you know, make the games and, uh, and, and the books. Uh, and they'd obviously just sort of hit it off well and, and said, wouldn't it be a great idea to do some Pathfinder audios? And um, they obviously agreed. So that was sort of set up. And then... Uh, it was offered to me would I like to, to produce it and um, and of course I said yes because uh, I particularly like the fact that it's something something new uh, you know with a different sort of feel to it um, so, which is always you know a bit exciting especially when to set something up from the beginning um, and although I didn't exactly know Pathfinder I certainly played Dungeons and Dragons when I was uh, uh, in my teens and Pathfinder has a similar sort of feel to it and um, uh, you know so I, sort of, I felt I knew I knew what the the feel of the um, the world was like, um, so it, it was a good opportunity, and it was um, and I could be involved in the actual, you know, who the characters were going to be. I mean, the characters were drawn. Um, Pathfinder has this set of iconic characters, which is quite a, a long list of about ten or twelve different characters, and the idea is each one represents a different sort of class. So there's a wizard one, there's a, a fighter one, um, an elf one, and so 
there was some discussion on which ones we were going to use, and we aimed, we finally arrived at about four, which is Valoros the fighter, Esmond the wizard, Riziel who's an elf, and Hask who's a dwarf, and those were our four regular characters, and and then the adventures themselves that we've done, we've done we've done six, and they're based on um, an actual game scenario uh, that had already been published by Isaac, but it's considered as a bit of a classic by the people who played the game, which is called Rise of the Rune Lords. Mm-hmm. So each game module or game path, as they call them, we've adapted as a single audio. And I think the third one is due out fairly soon. Yeah, I think it's um, this month, actually. The... Is it this month? Yes. Oh, I've lost track. Yes, it is this month. You're quite right, yes. At the end of this month, probably, yeah. Mm. <laughs> as a director, uh, how much of a say do you have in, in the casting? Because I think the five needs you've got on Pathfinder, they all come across really, really well. And um, I've got a bit of a fondness for, 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 for Mary Sound. I think, I think that she comes across uh, as one of the strongest. Um, yes, well, I mean, I think they're all strong. And it was quite interesting because we because they'd already established those characters and, and there were illustrations of them. Um, and they were quite keen, actually, that the actors at least resembled the, the characters they're going to play. I mean, uh, you know, there's a possibility that they might sort of promote it at conventions and things, and so we thought it'd be good if they, you know, weren't a million miles away from the appearances as they've been drawn in the books and things. So we actually, um, I had people in mind, um, and we actually did a sort of little test session, um, which we then shared with Paizo. Uh, Paizo's the company that publishes Pathfinder. Um, so we said, well, these are the people we've got, and, um, and uh, you know, do you like them? And fortunately, they liked all my suggestions. I mean, I think there were some little sort of... Uh, back and forth about characterization and how things we could emphasize and things like that. But uh, essentially, we, we, we sort of went with what we started with, I think. So, yeah, that, that worked out really well. <laughs> yeah, because they all come across really, really well. Um, and I've really been enjoying the series so far. I think the second, the second one was a tad stronger than the first one. Right. The first one was very, very action-packed. Yes, I mean, there's a lot to get in there. I mean, to be honest, it sounds, you know, I hear what you're saying about that, but at the same time, before we started, I didn't want them to be two just talking heads, if you sort of mean. I thought, you know, this is a fantasy role-playing game that it's based upon, so there should be lots of sort of fight and actions. And, of course, it's dictated by what's in the original game path, you know, so um, there are certain battles and things that do have to happen. Um, but the Skinsaw Murders was a little bit different in that it was a bit more... Uh, well, it wasn't like, the, you know, you didn't have the big attack on the town. It was much more of a sort of mystery about it, really, and what happens with um, Mauriciel and uh, his lordship in, in that strange old manor house. So, yeah, it's got a different feel to it. Yeah, and what a cliffhanger to get you on into the third one. <laughs> oh, yes, they've all got oh, yeah. that, that was just, uh, by the time we got to the end of that one, I thought, oh, man, I wonder, what's happen- I wonder what happens next. I mean, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Good, but well, it's done its job, then. Mm-hmm. Um, you've also you've also directed a uh, you know theatre um, as well. In fact, it was theatre that you know, as you said, Ian, that got 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 you into Big Finish sort of. That's thing. right. Yeah. Um, how, how does how does directing for audio drama differ from something that's more visual like theatre? Because um, 
you know, with, with audio, how much how much control do you have with audio? You know, say, is, is it all done sort of like um, like notes to actors, and a lot of it's done in in post edit? Uh, well, all the sound effects and music's done in post. We don't do any sound effects at all in uh, the actual studio, um, or very very few. They minus. I mean, if if a character's going to be eating and drinking while they're talking, I tend to say, would you mind eating a banana while you say the line uh, and and drink some water? Because um, I think that. That's hard to, you know, add on in post-production. But anything else that's like, you know, explosions and doors banging and things, that's all done in post-production. So, which is good because for one day in studio, you have to get one hour, at least one hour's worth of usable material out of it at the end. Which might not sound a lot, but actually that is that means you have to work quite quickly. So casting it is you know fifty percent of the job really, because if you cast it well, then it, it, it's going to work quite well. Um, and really, you just go into it, and you know you read a scene, the actors read a scene at a time. Then we then I discuss it, make some suggestions, maybe say, you know, remember there's there's a there's a, a wind blowing, so it's quite noisy, so you need to pitch up, uh, just things like that. Uh, and then we go and record it, um, and then if there are any lines that just need taking again we may just record the lines individually rather than record the whole scene I mean compared to theatre whereas in theatre you've got several weeks to rehearse it um, you, there just isn't that sort of process with audio it's, it's sort of do it as you go along so it's quite a different approach really. yeah because I, I remember when I did that workshop with you um, oh yeah is that <laughs> Is is that sort of like is that sort of like what the situation is like? You have all your actors in the same studio recording all at once because you know what I'm trying to get here is when you were um, when you see them you know recording for uh, animated adventures, the film and stuff like that. You usually have the actor locked in a booth by himself. Um, yeah. So do, do, do you just have all your actors together in the same room? A lot of the time, yeah. They, they, well, it, they are in the same room, but within that room they are in, in little separate booths as well. So it, it's it's halfway between what would be traditional radio, Radio 4 drama, which is everyone in the room with a lot of microphones, but it's just the same room. Um, and traditional radio, we, you would also tend to do a bit more what they call spot effects, like walking on gravel and shutting doors, uh, I think, rather than putting, putting those on afterwards. Though I think that's probably changed a little bit now. Um, whereas animation, as you say, everyone's individually in the booth and quite often doesn't even record with the other actors. That's, it's quite usual for people to just come along and record their own lines individually uh, and then it all gets cut together. But we're sort of halfway between that. I mean, most of the time, most of the cast are there. Um, and so you, they do get to actually, even though they're in booths, they've got headphones on so they can hear each other. Um, and they just play out the scene, responding to each other's lines with the script in front of them. Occasionally you have to record some lines separately because of actor availability or, or something like that. And, and then those lines get dropped in. But even, but even in those situations, it's quite often someone, possibly sometimes me, that will read in the lines of the actor who isn't there, just so the other actors have something to bounce off. Basically. Because when I when when I did that workshop with you a few years back, uh, one one thing that I remember it, you know, it it seemed very much like um, a read through before you go into do a play, where you have to read through. Yeah, which is where you first come into touch with your character, and it's when that's that that for me was always when the juices started to flow, and where where my imagination was beginning to so like uh, you know create that character. Yeah, I mean, read-throughs are a good thing. Uh, it's unusual for Big Finish to do a read-through of the play from cover to cover before recording. You, we'd, we'd do it scene by scene, so you'd read through a scene, then record the scene. 
But I think that veto is quite important because however well prepared an actor is and however good they are, it's always good to know what everyone else is doing in the scene. So you're all sort of pitching it at the same level. Um, you might respond to someone in a different way depending on how they deliver their lines. So it, it's a good idea to hear that and know what's coming. Um, and I think it makes for a better scene, which is why I wouldn't be keen on the idea of just recording lines completely isolated with, without the actors hearing each other's performance. I, I think it helps for them to know what everyone else is doing, basically. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right there because you're kind of like um, when, when, when you're doing the acting, you know, in read-through, you're reacting to the other person and sort of thing, and, and it's it's team effort ring, and that makes it, makes it you know, go along. Yes, yes, that's right, yeah. Well, it is a team effort, definitely, and, um, you know, you're all pulling in the same direction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you're also pulling someone back down if they're going a little bit too over the top. So. <laughs> yeah, well, that does happen sometimes, but I'd rather they did that than the other way around and sort of, you know, not have enough enough emotion. I think if someone's going, you know, pushing pushing it quite high, you can just say, oh, just bring it down a touch, and that's a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at what's coming up with Big Finish, and you've got a new Triffid series coming out. I think it's Night of the Triffids. The Night of the Triffids. Yes, it's not a series. It's a one-off. It's a, a, a double CD, and it's um, adapted by Simon Clarke from his own novel, which is The Night of the Triffids, and that's the official sequel to The Day of the Triffids. Uh, written by John Wyndham, of course, and it's sort of sanctioned by the John Wyndham estate. Um, and the book originally came out about 10 years ago, um, which and that's when I met Simon originally, actually. And more recently, they're, they're just about to republish it, uh, both as an e-book and as a, a new paperback. Um, and we thought it was a good opportunity to do the audio version of it as well, um, the full cast one. So um, we've recorded it now. It's actually in the middle of post-production. Um, Sam Troughton is the main character, which is David Mason, who's the son of Bill Mason, who was the main character in the first novel. Uh, and Sam Troughton is, of course, uh, Patrick Troughton's grandson. Um, and Nicola Bryant plays the main sort of leading lady in it as well. So, yeah, we're very excited about it. It's quite, it feels like working on a movie because it's like a one-off rather than a series. So, yeah, it's quite exciting. Sam Troughton was was he in the uh, was he in the, the the Robin Hood TV series at BBC? Yes, that's where that's where I first worked with him actually because um, Big Finish did some of the audios based on the Robin Hood series and I got to direct two of the stories um, which Sam Troughton read. These were more like the Companion Chronicles, with just one person reading the story, yeah. and, and Sam read uh, two of these ones. Uh, and uh, it was his first audiobook, actually, he told me at the time, but you'd never know, he was brilliant, and um, I really enjoyed working with him. So when Night of the Triffids came up, I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to work with him again. And um, fortunately, he agreed as well. Yeah, I, I loved his character in that Robin Hood. I thought it was really good. And I remember seeing him and remember song like making the connection, Troughton, and thought, and even when I was watching him, thinking, mm, wouldn't he make a marvellous Doctor Who? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, he may yet do, I guess. Who you know, knows? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not, 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 not because of any connection with, with his grandfather, but I just felt that the way the way he was portraying much in, in, in Robin Hood, he, he just seemed to have those quirky character traits. Yes, definitely, yeah. And, and he's a very good actor too, so, um, yeah, I think he'd make a brilliant Doctor. And, and that, that's, that's something that I thought at the time, watching, watching Robin Hood, and, um, you know, ho- hopefully he does get to do it one day. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, you know, he's... He's still quite a young actor, so there's plenty of time, so, yeah. 
Um, you 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 um you had your own audio company for a while. And I mentioned it at the top um top of the interview. I can't remember what it's called, but you did um something called Space eighteen ninety nine. Would you mind talking a little bit about that? Yeah, not at all. Well, the company was called Noise Monster, and it sort of is still around to some extent. Uh, and the series was actually called Space eighteen eighty nine. Um, you you added ten years onto it. Um, maybe that's the sequel. Uh, <laughs> and we and we did for and actually a bit like Pathfinder, that was also based on a role playing game, which is created by um, a guy called Frank Chadwick. And basically, it's like an alternative history steampunk, um, which is Victorians in space, you know, uh, and they go and colonise Mars and Venus and Mercury. Um, and Mars is inhabited by Martians of various kinds and, uh, and there's canals on it. So we set, uh, well, three of the plays are set mainly on Mars and the fourth one is set on the moon. Um, uh, and yes, I mean, I think people like them now. I mean, it, may, it was quite a learning curve at the time because realising that, you know, you need to invest quite a lot of time and money just to keep a series going. Um, it was interesting that every time I release a new one, the previous one would also sell almost as many again which is quite interesting. So, um, But that was, that was quite a few years ago, so this was before you know, digital downloads and things, so there wasn't that opportunity. Um, and I think that's changed the way things work a bit now. So if I was ever to do it again, I would definitely go for the, the download side. I think. Can people not get them digitally now? Or? Not at the moment, no. I mean, they, they, they're actually uh, the licence to produce and sell them lapsed quite a while back, um, mainly because I just sort of, I'd done those and I went on to do you know, other projects and things. Um, however, it's not out of the realm's possibility that I could renew the license um, and, and with, with an aim to actually making them available for download as well mm-hmm. as on CD. So, yes, that's possible. Yeah, yeah and, you know, by, by the sounds of this, I, I'd actually love to see, see a film or a TV series, Space 1899, because I just love this, the whole visual side of, of the steampunk genre. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's steampunk now is really quite big, uh, you know, perhaps even bigger than it was, or more mainstream big anyway, uh, than it was when I first did those. Um, so, yeah, in some ways, I think there might be even more interest in them uh, than there was then. Yeah, I think I think they've yet to do a really good steampunk TV series or movie. Um, they've not quite, they've not quite hit it no, right no, but even Doctor Who had elements of sort of steampunk about it, and, um, you know, I'm big finish of doing the J.G. on Lightfoot series, which... I know it isn't exactly steampunk, but it's got that sort of side to it, you know, set in Victorian times, and there's, there's people with rather weird inventions and things like that. So there is an element of that. Yeah, I think I think that's probably why I've always liked Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Very British, very steampunk. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the different settings, the different costumes, you know. I just like how it can be a costume drama one week and um, a science fiction epic the next. That's right, yes. Well, I mean, Doctor Who's the, the ultimate flexible format. It's, um, it's a, a great opportunity to do anything you want, really. Mm-hmm. Well, looking at, you know, the stuff that you, you have done, you, you, you've recently done Day of Triffids. Now, I was just thinking uh, just now, um, wouldn't it be brilliant if Big Finish was somehow able to do what the BBC could never do? Which, which is what? <laughs> um, do, do the entire trilogy of the tripods. Right. Oh, well, I think people have suggested that, and um, it's certainly possible. Well, actually, if you say a trilogy, but there is actually a fourth book, which uh, John Christopher wrote, which was like a prequel about how the Triffids, uh, not the Triffids, the Tripods uh, first came to Earth. So, and they're good books. They're really good books. So, yeah, it, it's certainly a possibility. Um, I mean, I don't know where we are in terms of rights and things and whether they'd be available or not, but, uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's one that's at least been talked about. 
mean, I, you know, I, I just think it's one that's begging to be uh, be adapted by a big finish, to be honest. Um, you know, based on the, the TV series, you know, it's quite popular. It was doing all right in the ratings, but for some reason the BBC uh, deemed to, to, to not do the third third one um, because of cost-cutting. Yes, it was, it was an unfortunate period, wasn't it? And I think wasn't that around the same time the Doctor Who was put on high exit as well, I think. So I think it was just people coming, new people coming in management. Was it Michael Gray? It might well have been. Probably. Who, um, um, you know, just had different ideas about what they wanted to see on television on a Saturday night. Yeah, snooker. <laughs> well, yeah. Is <laughs> um, there any other projects um, on the horizon for you that you can talk about? Um, well, I'm not sure I am allowed to talk. Well, the only other thing I'm working on at the moment is the second series of Vienna, um, which stars Chase Masterson. Um, she was introduced in the Doctor Who uh, story, uh, created the character created by uh, Johnny Morris, a uh, sort of space mercenary. And she's gone on to have sort of her own spin-off series, which um, was a one-off release uh, done, and then the first series came out. I think last, oh, was it? It might be earlier this year. Um, so, yeah, we're just about to work on, on the second series, um, take that into studio, and they've asked me to direct all three of them, which is great. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've actually um, interviewed Chase Masterson a few times, ringing off in lady. Right, yes, well, I haven't actually met her yet. We've, we've exchanged emails, which is very nice, and um, I'm looking forward to working with her. Okay, well, um, and, and I can't really let you go without asking this, because um, I know that you're as big a Doctor Who fan as I, or anyone else, for that matter. Indeed, yeah. So, um, I just want to ask, what, what are your thoughts on Peter Capaldi's Doctor, and what new exciting directions do you think um, an older Doctor is, is going to take the series in? Well, I think it's great casting, because uh, it is completely a complete change. Um, and I'm sure, I mean, although we don't really know what his character is going to be like, I'm, I'm sure they're actually going to do something quite different with him than, you know, we saw with Matt Smith's 11th Doctor. Um, yeah, I think it's very exciting. I, I think he's a great actor. I've seen him in other things anyway. Um, I love the fact that he really knows and loves Doctor Who himself, which is, is really nice. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be great. I'm quite looking forward to it as well. I'm looking forward to it even more now that we've got got a date. Yeah, it's going to very start soon. Now. Yeah, um, yeah, just six. What, it's about eight weeks. Yes, not long. Yeah. Damn, two months. Um, anyway, John, it's been really great speaking to you, and it's, um, you know, it's been great having you on the show. And um, hopefully, we can have you on again at some point. Maybe, maybe next year we can do another catch up. I'd be happy to do so. Yes, thank you very much for, for, for talking to me. That's about all we have time for this week, folks. Um, thanks for uh, listening, as ever. Um, sorry we've not done, a few sh- done, done, done any shows in a few weeks. Um, we kind of uh, took a holiday um, because of uh, Comic-Con and this this and that. And, you know, we, we saw I've like, been busy. We've moved the site. We've actually moved SciFiPulse.net to a, to, a to a new server and uh, redesigned it. And we've been doing... Quite a lot of a uh, lot of stuff away from the uh, world of podcasting, um, as it were. But hopefully things are going to stabilise now, and we, we'll be able to, so like, uh, you know, give you a show at least once every week or once every couple of weeks, uh, depending on how, how my schedule goes and um, how much real life gets in the way. 
Well, as ever, thanks for listening, and uh, please tune in again next time for another exciting SFP now, in which we actually feature an interview with the uh, comic creators of a new comic book called Mope, which is an independent comic book, bringing comic book. It's um, it's 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 basically a Indiana Jones with mice, <laughs> um, but it's a really cool comic. Um, but thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.